Father, can it get, week after week, can it get more staggering? Evidently so. Words like that take our breath away. You want to see the Father? What have you been looking at, Philip? I've been here three years. That is unbelievably awesome. Oh God, we must either turn from Jesus as an absolute fruitcake or God of God. Don't let us play games here. We are on our faces before the King of glory, the creator of the universe in Jesus Christ. Or we are insane. So God, come. Do your amazing faith-building, Christ-revealing work now, I pray. In his holy name, his divine name, amen. The Gospel of John, this passage in particular, is very practical, very relevant to one of the most common struggles in your life. The struggle I have in mind is the tendency, day in and day out, to feel an unholy turmoil about a problem you're facing. That's what this paragraph is about. As stunning and glorious as it is, that's what it's about. Do you remember two weeks ago? I said from verse 21 of chapter 13, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. Therefore, there must be a holy turmoil of soul. He never sinned. And he's He's troubled, shaken. And then we get to this verse 1 of our text, and it says, Let not your hearts be troubled. From which I conclude, there is an unholy turmoil of soul that we shouldn't have. And we do, regularly. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. Our first favorite fighter verse from yay many years ago that our little kids learned for us. When, not if, I am afraid. I will trust in you. Now, as this text develops, and Jesus is helping us not feel unholy turmoil of soul, you may start to think, Those arguments aren't cutting it with me because my problem is not quite what these guys are facing and so this is not helping me very much. And I just want to, ahead of time, encourage you that if you start to feel that way, you hang on because between argument three and four of the five that are here, Jesus does a surprising turn on us. And he's going to snatch you just when he thinks, just when you think, he's missing me. 
Okay? That's what's going to happen. Happen to me anyway. I think I'm normal when it comes to fear and anxious thoughts. Now, you know how this gospel works. You've been around for a while. Chapter 20, verse 31, gives the goal of the gospel. Big picture. These things are written so that you may believe, trust, be assured, treasure the reality that Jesus is the Christ, that is the promise-fulfilling Messiah, the Son of God, that is the presence of God himself in his Son among us, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's why the gospel is written, to reveal Jesus as the Messiah, fills all the promises, the Son of God, God himself present in his Son, so that you would believe, receive, and have life forever. That's the goal of this gospel. And that's what's been happening week in and week out. It's for believers to get more faith, and it's for unbelievers to get into faith. What we encounter in this gospel is the living God, creator of the universe, present among us in his Son, infinitely loved, eternal image and radiance of his essence, through faith, connected to the Son, and in the Son, connected to the Father, so that the life that has always been in the Father and in the Son is now flowing into us and will be forever. That's what's going on in this gospel. Now, what he does today, verses 1 to 11 of chapter 14, is that he, Jesus, teams up with the Father to overcome unholy turmoil of soul, okay? And he gives five reasons why you don't need to have any unholy turmoil of soul. Five reasons, at least. I count five. You could count them differently. So first, notice the main point. Verse 1 at the front end, verse 11 at the back end, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. That's the main point of the paragraph. Or to put it positively, believe in God. Believe also in me. Now drop to the end, look at verse 11. Believe me, same point, believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the work. So it starts with, don't be troubled, believe. It ends, believe, believe, trust me, receive me, count on me, bank on me, so that you won't have an unholy troubledness about the problem you're facing. That's where this is going. And in verse 1, when he says, believe God, also believe me, the way you should think about that now at chapter 14, having heard it all, which he assumes we have, we assume chapter 12, verse 44. Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Because I'm he. 
Okay, we should know that by now. It's the way this gospel works. Jesus is the presence of the Father in the person of the Son, divine image, radiance, reflection of the glory of the Father. So, believe him, believe me, same thing. They are included in each other. If you believe in God rightly, you believe in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus rightly, you believe in his Father. Now, here we are at the Last Supper. He had just told them, last week's text, verse 36 of chapter 13, I am going away and you cannot come with me. In fact, he says to Peter, you're going to deny me before the rooster crows tomorrow morning. In other words, I'm leaving you. You're not able to come with me. In fact, you can't even make it through the night without me. And that's a good reason to be troubled, isn't it? I mean, if I were Peter and he had just said that to me, I'd be troubled. Really troubled. And the next thing out of his mouth is, let not your hearts be troubled. I wonder if he looked at Peter. Could have. He's saying it to Peter and the other ten. And then he gives five reasons for Peter and you and Philip and Thomas and the rest not to be troubled. So here we go. Five of them. This is what he expects. Jesus expects that when he gives spirit-inspired reasons not to be anxious, that the Holy Spirit will apply them to you so anxiety will lift as you embrace in faith those reasons. That's what he expects to happen. So I'm praying that will happen. You should be praying that will happen as I preach. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the next 30 minutes. Argument number one, don't be troubled, but trust me, because my father has many rooms in his house, and each one of you will have one. Verse two, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to stop right there because the rest of it starts another argument. Twice in verse 2 and then again in verse 3, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, let this argument sink in. God's house is large, he says, got a lot of rooms. He won't run out of space. Don't need to worry about that. There'll be a place for you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's not just in general. I'm going to make sure there's one for you. So it's spacious and... Uh, it's designed for these 11 
and it's his house, not his hotel. That makes a difference, you know. The children stay in the house. The, the passers through go to the hotel. So this is big. I get to be in my father's house forever with my own room. So Peter and all you fragile saints who follow him so imperfectly, don't let an unholy turmoil rise in your heart. Trust Jesus. Trust God. I have a place for you, and you're going to make it. I'm going to come and take you there, Peter. And when you're there, you're going to be there forever, and you're going to be there as a child, not a guest. Because to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the children of God. So, yes, I'm leaving. No, you can't come with me. Yes, you will be scattered this night. And the shepherd will be struck. But don't let your sorrow and don't let your fear and don't, glancing at Peter, let your shame become an unholy turmoil in your soul. Trust me, I'm coming to take you there. That's argument number one. Number two, don't be troubled, but trust Jesus because Jesus himself is going to make ready the place of dwelling with God. Jesus himself is going to make ready the place. So now let's do Verse 2 and 3 again. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you. So twice this is, I'm going and I'm preparing. I'm going and I'm preparing this. Now, here's the question this raises for me. Is my home in heaven in disrepair? needing some work. Does does this mean that sweet fellowship with God is somehow defective and, and would need to be worked on? Can Jesus say in Matthew 25, 34, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. But he can't say the rooms have been prepared before the foundation of the world. They got work to do. I don't think so. The house of God is not in disrepair. In heaven. Fellowship with God and all of its sweetness can't be improved upon. And this dwelling near the heart of God has been, at least in one sense, designed and made suitable for redeemed sinners before the creation of the world. I was chosen and redeemed in Christ before the foundation of the world. So, 
What is he talking about in saying, I'm going to prepare it? I'm going to prepare it. And I think there are two senses in which this is meant to be taken. One is this, and this is, this is argument number two. Your room is just fine. I'm not, I'm not going to have to fix it. What's not just fine is you can't get there if I don't go do what I'm about to do. What has to be prepared is an open door in this room. This room is locked tight to sinners that are not forgiven. And there'll be no forgiveness for your sin if I don't leave you right now and do what I've got to do. I am going to prepare something about nine hours from now. On Golgotha, I will do this massive work of preparing an open door in this room for you. I think that's the gist of the first sense. Sin has to be atoned for, and I'm the Lamb of God ready to be slain. The wrath of God, the condemnation, the curse of God is still unsatisfied. And I am about in the next few hours to become a curse for you, bear the condemnation for you, bear the bruising of the Father for you. Death has to be defeated before you can be raised from the dead when I come back and go into your room. And I am about to surrender myself up to death and burst its jaws and release myself and you from it. None of that has been done yet and you can't go in there. It is closed tight until I prepare it by opening the door for it. Here's a confirmation of this sense. Look at verses 4 through 6. You know the way where I'm going. They should have anyway. Verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to become the way for you to get there. I'm going to complete the truth that you'll hold on to to get there. I'm going to kill death and rise into glorious new life that you will one day be able to share in your room with the Father. And until I do that, there'll be no way, there'll be no completed truth, and there'll be no life for you anywhere. So I've got a lot of work to do tonight in order to get this room ready, available for you. Therefore, Peter, Philip, Thomas, Bethlehem, trust me, I'm going to get it done tonight, tomorrow morning.
I will make a way. I will be the way. I will be all the truth you need. I will be all the life you need. And I will be that because what's going to happen in these next three days. So trust me and don't let your heart have an unholy turmoil about what you're going through right now. That's argument number two. Now, there's another sense, I think, in which we should take, I am going to prepare a place for you. Argument number three goes like this. Don't be troubled, but trust me, because I myself will be your dwelling, and I'll get you there. Verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. I think that's probably the most important statement in the paragraph. And where I am, you may be also. I will take you to myself. This shifts the focus of this paragraph from place to person. What's the essence of heaven? I don't mean the totality. I just mean the essence. What's the essence of heaven? Answer, the immediate presence of Jesus. Or ask it the other way around. What is the immediate presence of Jesus? Heaven. I go this night through death for you. I go on Easter Sunday out of death for you that I might be your dwelling place. I will become your room. I am your room in your Father's house, and I am not yet prepared for that. I must go prepare a place for you so that when I come, I can take you to me. And where I am, where I am, you will be. I must go prepare one who can intercede with his blood. I must go prepare one who has no death anymore. Not the slightest vulnerability any longer to any pain or any death. I must become that in the next three days or I will not be a place for you to abide forever. I must pay all your debt, remove all your wrath, so you have the safest room in the universe in the presence of a flaming holy God who wills to be your daddy. So I've got work to do tonight, and I will do it. I will become, I will prepare, I will prepare me 
I will prepare me in these three days and I will come and take you to me, your place. Don't use this scripture to show that when Jesus comes back at the second coming, he will take you to heaven. It does not say that. It doesn't even say that. It says, I will come again and will take you to myself. And where I am, you'll be. And where will he be? He will descend with a shout, with the archangel's cry, and we will rise to meet him in the air, and he will come and establish his kingdom on the earth, and we will be with him forever, and heaven will be here. And eventually the earth will be transformed into a new heavens and a new earth, and we with risen bodies will live forever in his presence and our room will be here because he will be here. So, Peter, Philip, Thomas, trust me. Trust the Father. You, you don't need to be troubled tonight. You don't need to have an unholy turmoil. I'm going to get ready for you, me, and I'll come. I will come. And I will see to it that you're mine. Now, that's argument number three. Here we are between three and four. And I'm thinking, those arguments for my being free from unholy turmoil seem pretty far away. Like death or second coming. And right now, I don't know how to, I don't know how to treat, I don't know how to deal with my kids. I don't know what to do with this marriage where there's so little trust, affection. I don't have a job. My faith, my, yeah, maybe my faith is failing. I was going to say my, my health is failing. I'm lonely. I'm not quite connecting with these arguments about the second coming and maybe death when he's going to take me to be with him. That's good news for that, but anything <laughs> for tonight? So now he does something surprising, which he does over and over. Verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Not, hope I get to see the Father at the second coming. Would you show us the Father 
now. And then he says that amazing statement, that would be enough. That's the same word as 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where Christ says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Enough. That's the feel of this, this word. So he's saying, if you just show us the Father right now, we'll make it through the night. We'll, we'll make it. That's enough. The fourth argument is, don't be troubled, Philip, Bethlehem. Don't be troubled. Trust me, because the very Father who has a place for you in his house where his children live, the very Father who has a place for you is with you now, now, in this room and when you go home tonight. Well, let's just stay here because that might not be obvious yet. Verses 7 to 11 Make something crystal clear because it repeats it six times in different words. I'm going to read all six of them to you, and by the time I'm done reading all six, you'll get the point in his answer to Philip. That's all he has to say for the rest of the paragraph is Philip. Verse 7, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Second half of verse 7, number 2. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Number 3, verse 9, in response to Philip's request to see the Father, Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you and still you don't know me, Philip? Number four, last half of verse nine, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Number five, verse 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Number six, verse 11, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. So, Philip, here I am. Is that enough? You said it would be enough. You said, show us the Father and it would be enough. I can't, you'll never have any more than this because I will always be the radiance of the Father. He's invisible. Is this enough? But you, 21st century Phillips, might say, well, yeah, he was there that night. And he went away. And he hasn't come back. So what's close now? 
He was close enough to touch that night. The father could be touched on his face. We beheld this life. We touched. We saw the life. Not now. You don't, Bethlehem. So do we all leave and say, well, that's really good news. And we're going to make it to the end. And at the end, we get him. No. There is one more argument. But to see it in its clearest form, you got to jump five verses outside the text. Is that legitimate? It is. Um, don't be troubled, but trust me. This is argument number five. Don't be troubled, but trust me, because I will be with you always, and not just at my return. Let's read verses 16 through 18. Same issue still brewing. I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper. To be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. Why do they know him? Because he dwells with you and will be in you. What does that mean? That means I'm with you, and I will be in you, in the helper. I will be the helper. The Holy Spirit and I are one also. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I, now that's the same as saying the helper. In verse 17, he says, I will send you, I will give you, no, verse 16, I will give you another helper to be with you forever. And now in verse 18, he says, I won't leave you as orphans, I will come to you. I am with you now physically, I will be in you then spiritually, because when the helper comes, he is the spirit of Jesus as well as the Spirit of the Father. You think of a text in Paul that makes that crystal clear. I'll read it to you. It's Romans 8, 9, and 10. You are not in the flesh, you Christians. You are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit. If the Spirit of God, now notice that name, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, oh, shifted terminology on us because they're the same. At least they're in each other. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, though your bodies are dead because of sin, your spirits are alive because of righteousness. You're not in the flesh. 
You're in the Spirit. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, you're alive. Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ, Christ, interchangeable. Which is why he says here in verse 16, we're going to send a helper. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send a helper. You don't have to wait till the second coming to have the Father and to have the Son. I'm going to send a helper. And then he says in verse 18, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm coming to you. Which is why at the end of Matthew's gospel it says, go make disciples, baptize them, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, finish it. I'll be with you to the end. Yes, I just, I just went up in the clouds. That's right, I did. And I did not leave you. There are no orphans in his family. There are no abandoned children in his family. You're not alone ever. That's argument number six. So, it seems to me and surely my experience that in my most desperate moments when turmoil of soul is owing to some family issue or marriage issue or health issue or church job issue, at those moments, the remedy is trust him. Not only is it going to work out in the end and you're going to be with him forever in the most intimate fellowship but right now, he hasn't left you. He gave you a helper. Notice, I love this. He, did, he didn't give you an observer. Like I'm watching. I'm right, right next to you. And I'm watching. Well, it's not what I need. Everybody's watching me. I don't need another person to watch me. I need a helper an advocate, a comforter, a paraclete, one who stands by me, in me, on me, under me, around me, and is working through me because I can't figure anything out by myself, nor can I make it through. So let's summarize and be done. Bethlehem, whatever the problems that are causing the unholy turmoil to rise up, Let not your heart be troubled. Trust him because he has a place for you in your father's house and his. Number two, let not your heart be troubled because Jesus prepared a place for you by opening the way there and removing every single obstacle. Especially, Peter, your sin. Third, let not your heart be troubled because Jesus himself is your dwelling place and he has promised to come and take you to himself. It's not like some room off there. What's a room? I don't want a room. I want a person. A room just means you're in the house. And Jesus is your room.
And number four, let not your heart be troubled because the Father and I, Jesus, are one so that if you have Jesus, you have the Father. And lastly, you have Jesus now because he sent his spirit to you, the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of truth. And he is not an observer. He is an omnipotent helper for tonight's issue that you're facing and tomorrow's and death and resurrection. So, Father, my heart leaps at your labor to win our trust in this book of John. These things are written that you might not be troubled in your soul, but that you might believe God by your Holy Spirit in this room right now cause these arguments to be embraced and treasured and may we say with what we hope Philip said yes Jesus you're enough you're enough it's a sweet thing to trust you Help us to trust you more and more. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.